Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Adventuring Academy. My name is Brennan Lee Mulligan. This is my guest Lou Wilson. Hello. Uh, welcome to our little podcast, our home away from home, uh, where we talk about all things uh, tabletop RPG related that have to do with running tabletop games for you and your friends, be it D&D, White Wolf, what have you. Uh, we talk about how to play and run this awesome game here mm-hmm. on this podcast. Uh, my guest, Lou Wilson, today you will recognize from uh, Dimension 20, yes. uh, both Fantasy High and the upcoming second season, which has not been announced yet. Shh, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Uh, Lou's my guest today because I've been playing D&D with Lou for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we have a 3.5 campaign that's been going on for over a year. Over a year now, yeah. which is yeah. uh, it's very special. Very, very special. Uh, and Lou also uh, uh, has just started running his first game of d D&D. Lou, how did that experience go for you? Uh, it was uh, a learning one, but an enjoyable one. Uh, I, yeah, my world is called Sazura. It's a very, it's like a desert uh, kind of landscape with all your, like, I don't know. I wanted to, like, just smash all the most cinematic, like Sahara shifting sands with, like, dry, the dry creek beds of, like, westerns uh, with, like, the high arid deserts of, like, uh, of, like, I don't know, some of your favorite, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, just also, like, frontiersman kind of stuff. Uh, I wanted to smash them all together in, like, one beautiful world it's like a very cool like arabian nights inspired place that i was super psyched when you started talking to me about it because i'm obviously a big homebrew campaign Mm -hmm. world guy um so for those that are listening uh dm's work in different ways people that run these games work in different ways uh uh sometimes with games like white wolf or vampire the masquerade the game is sort of impossible to divorce from the setting that comes with the game mm-hmm. like this game takes place on earth these are the types of vampires you can be D does a really good job of separating its campaign worlds from the rules so the mm-hmm. rules are kind of presented assuming like hey this is how elves and orcs work kind of in whatever world you find them yes. right so as a dungeon master you have this kind of choice to make of do i buy a campaign setting do i go out and get ravnica do i go out and get forgotten realms mm-hmm. right or do i make up my own yes. uh was there any question in your mind about whether you wanted to start with a pre-made campaign setting well i mean uh, there i mean there definitely was it definitely like i it crossed my mind i was like because i you know i i had been right before i met you and we started doing our campaign together i had been like you know what like it had been hard for me to find a dm uh in uh, los angeles and so i had been like oh well, you know what if i can't find one i'll, I'll, I'll learn it and i was uh <laughs> and you can too you can too and that's why you're here uh are listening or watching this podcast please uh but i was yeah so i had been on like amazon being like okay do i like do i get these do i get the books and then do i get the starter set and do i just like run whatever the starter set is but then I met you, and I don't know I, what can I say. I'm very much a. I consider you in ways, in 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 many ways, to be a DM or GM sensei to me. Uh, and there's definitely been something about watching you run campaigns of your own creation that I think is like a power that I like that I that I wanted. Uh, I think there's just so much more. I think there. There is like, as an improviser, as someone who's very good at thinking on their feet, uh, who likes to prepare, but then is also very comfortable in kind of the wilds of just like, we're going to a place that I hadn't expected. Um, it was exciting. I don't know. There's there's like a thrill there of being like, okay, great. If we go there, then uh, we'll just kind of, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I didn't want to have to be like going to a pamphlet being like, okay, so they want to go here. Great. And what's there? Okay, I think it's the okay. Wait, do you guys want to go to the left side or the right side? The left side. Okay, so <laughs> on the left side, is, like I didn't, I like, I don't know the the freedom and comfort to just kind of be like I own to own the ownership. I think was something that excited me, especially with like 
doing running this campaign in South Carolina. I think that's so important, and that's very well put to that idea of like ownership, right? Because I know that the reason a lot of people rely on modules, and again, you can split the difference. Mm-hmm. You can get a campaign setting, like you can go out and get, you know, like my favorite of all time was Planescape, which was yeah. back in second edition D and D a million years ago. Way back, way back a million years ago, Planescape's like my favorite setting of all time. Where I felt really excited about Planescape because it was this awesome setting that was so creative and wild, but it allowed me and my brother and other people that were DMing to still make our own adventures, mm-hmm. uh, which was very, very fun and cool. Uh, uh, but there's an even a level beyond that where you can not only get a campaign setting, but also like run modules, like yeah. run design adventures. I totally get the appeal of running a module. Mm-hmm. Having all that stuff, especially if you're, you know, like... For the record, Lude is jumping into DMing as a like veteran improviser at the UCB Theater. Yes. So like, and having played a lot before, and uh, has a lot of complementary skills that make this a smaller leap mm-hmm. than it is for some people who maybe haven't performed before, haven't done something creative before, yeah. and want to start DMing out of the box. A module is a really tempting offer. I will tell one little story about why Ooh, I okay. Why the the first time I became very creased and swore off modules all together. Oh, got to get this out in the first episode. <laughs> first episode. And this is why, and again, modules are great. Check them out. If you want to buy a pre-made adventure, because that's going to make you feel more confident. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So when I was like 12 years old, mm-hmm. right, I was sort of on the, on the basis of like really designing my first own campaign world. I already sort of had, but this was like me testing the waters of like, ooh, maybe to be a real D and D nerd, I should buy a module and run mm-hmm. one. So I got Acts of the Dwarvish Lords. Ooh. This is like a two hundred and twenty page adventure. It's thick, like source book, not hardcover, still paperback, but like a thick adventure module for like twelfth level characters. And it's this huge fucking dungeon. It's like thick and hefty. And I like hand traced all the maps and did all this stuff. Did you tracing paper out. I got broke the tracing paper oh, out. My <laughs> Memorize these stat blocks. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this. Anyone who plays Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, the the bullet you dodged at not playing second edition mm-hmm. you don't have to know what Thaco is it used to be this thing that your attack roll was based on your Thaco which was a number called to hit armor class zero that's what Thaco stands so for you're, so you didn't have a bonus to an attack roll okay. you had a number that if you rolled it or higher meant you hit an armor class of zero. And if the person's AC was different than zero, you had to do the math in your head and figure out whether you were adding or subtracting. So the numbers were weird inverse mirrors of each other. It was bad. It was bad. As someone who I haven't been playing, Brennan makes me sound like I like I I, I do play a lot of D and D now, but I wasn't playing so long ago that uh, and you often talk about how easy five is and how easy it is to jump into. That's like I feel like the first tidbit you've ever given me though as to why we what we what we like the the what you the paths you walked so that we could be where we are today. Well, like all credit to Mike Merles. Look, like the, the Renaissance we're in with D and D right now uh-huh. is credited due to number one extremely popular awesome things that are D and D actual play content mm-hmm. like Critical Role, like the Adventure Zone. Uh, uh, like our boy Murph's uh, uh, and Emily and <laughs> not another D and D podcast. Got to shout it out. Uh, <laughs> but that's an ex- a great example. Is that Murph is someone that mm-hmm. I was his first DM like two year, two and a half, three years ago, something yeah. like that. I think literally like two, between two and three years ago. And Murph is a great fucking DM, one of the most proficient DMs out there. Mm-hmm. He's got a fucking podcast that's like huge. So if you're feeling intimidated, like oh you, sometimes I'll see people be like, well, of course that person's a great DM. They've been DMing for twenty years. You don't need to DM for 20 years Mm -hmm. to be a great DM. You can start and be a great DM right away if you make the focus of what you're doing your player's enjoyment at the Mm -hmm. table. In any case. Can we go back to Thaco, though? I am very interested in why you're creased. So here's why I got so creased. I get Axe of the Dwarvish Lords, right? Huge adventure, big-ass dungeon, evil wizard. I'm like, cool. This is a published D&D adventure. Let's do it. I get my four players at the table. They all make a bunch of dwarven PCs. Oh, hell yes. Very exciting. My brother makes this like dwarven paladin lady who's mm-hmm. like a very cool, avenging dwarven paladin. The setting 
dictates that the first event these characters go to is in a dwarven settlement where a marriage is going underway uh-huh. and as a little bit of like flavor it's an older dwarven guild elder uh marrying this younger dwarven like princess mm-hmm. and the princess is like not super hyped about the wedding okay and it's like but you know, but then the wedding is attacked by the evil wizard Bombeldo or whatever the guy's fucking name is. And, uh, what ends up happening is I start to narrate this wedding literally just to set the scene of the PCs doing like a little bit of role playing before the adventure starts. Uh Well, check it out. I narrate someone rolls some like, you know, insight check or whatever, whatever it was in second edition back Mm -hmm. then rolls some, you know, wisdom based check about the dwarven princess. I go, yeah, she's not super hyped about the wedding. Guess what my PCs do. They fucking clock the groom over the back of the head, (laughs) kidnap the princess. And they're like, we're not going to watch you get married to this person. You don't like. And so I go, uh, are you sure you don't want (laughs) to, are you sure you don't want to stay? And they go, no, we're kidnapping the bride and we're getting her the fuck out of here. And so, the adventure becomes the dwarven militia chasing down these kidnappers and of course I'm like they're immediately having the most fun yeah. in the world they've kidnapped this princess and then I just start role playing this princess as being like yeah thank you this was uh. a bad situation <laughs> to be in so in other words weeks and weeks and weeks of my life and 95% of this book are gone in the wow. first it wasted a ton of tracing paper. Uh, God, the amount of tracing paper. I could have done so many Pokemon, so many Digimon. So many Pokemon, dude. You could have used those for shrinky dicks. You could have put it to good use. Instead, it all became nothing. Bombeldo. Bombeldo showed up to literally an empty. He's like, I have come to kidnap a princess. Guess what, dog? She's gone. She's fully gone. Help us find her. <laughs> Oh, that would, yeah, just reverse again there. Bombeldo, nobody is coming after Bombeldo. Bombeldo is coming after you. I have come to snatch your princess. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, my God. The groom's unconscious. Yeah, I guess let's get let's get on this. I have a whole dungeon full of monsters. Well, can these monsters chase dwarves in a stolen wagon? No. It's a bunch of rust monsters and Otayugs underneath this bullshit. Yeah, well, fuck you. We can't use your help. Um, <laughs> okay. It was so that's that was a very and, and it feels like a villainous origin story uh-huh. of like that one time I got burned that yes. badly completely ruined modules for Mm -hmm. me and made me go, I want to homebrew my own settings as much as possible with exception. Like some settings are so fucking dope that like I planescape rules. It's a very cool setting, but, um, I want to homebrew my own settings and I specifically want to design my own adventures Mm -hmm. because you cannot escape the degree to which the game is about the PCs. I don't even really like to hear that dungeon masters are storytellers. They're Mm -hmm. not because the story has to be predicated on the dreams and hopes and desires and actions of the player characters. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So if, if their choices are not what's driving the story forward, that's a problem. Now, obviously their choices occur in a world you've created and you need to create villains and plot hooks and stuff like that for them to react to. But the idea that you can really have this adventure and not make it perfectly like a glove mm-hmm. fit to the characters you've made is a little crazy. No one yeah. would ever watch a movie where the plot is totally divorced from the backstory of the mm-hmm. main characters. But in a weird way, that's kind of what modules do if you're not careful. Yeah. Is they go like, oh yeah, there's some heroes, whoever they are, who gives a fuck. The main thing is they go into this dungeon and do these things. Yeah. I think that even if you're using a module, you should go through and realign stuff to tie into your PC's backstory or to look at your PCs and say, their motivations need to tie into the core themes and plot of whatever this adventure is. Yeah. Um, because all it takes is one moment of them like moving from their core or the core of their character instead of along the lines that were carefully drawn for them that like, I don't know, to, to unseat everything. A hundred percent. Well, you know, like the thing, and I'll say this cause I don't think this is a spoiler for season one yeah. of fantasy high. The, plot with the missing girls at Eggfort was something I created in the setting was created beforehand. I created the setting so that you guys, these six guys could make your characters, mm-hmm. but the whole 
plot with the missing girls at Eggfort was created for Murph's character. Wow. He, I've never heard this before. Really? I've, you've never told me that there... I. I had no idea. You tell me there nobody was trapped in any. There were crystals, no girls no. trapped in any crystals nope. before Riz Gutkek was created. No, that was created because you. If one of your characters at the table says, "I want to play a teen sleuth," and you don't give them a mystery, you're an asshole. Wow! <laughs> like if you're like, "Cool, you're a detective." I didn't plan up for a mystery in my setting, so you can jerk off. I guess you can like do whatever you want. Like you have to put as a DM, I think you have to put things into the setting that allow people to realize the fullness of the character arc that they envision for themselves. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that you're you're not also involving your story yeah, themes you, you want, want to include. Yeah. You know, like you're one of several players at the table. Mm -hmm. You should be having a fun time as well. Yeah. But you, your job is, I think creating these moments where people get to go, oh, my character became the person I wanted mm -hmm. them to be in this moment. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't plan that, if you don't really see that stuff in, there's, you know, what are the odds that it's going to happen organically, especially with something like a mystery? Mm -hmm. um, I yeah. think that's really necessary. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> it is, I know, but it is. It's like, I think about like the first, like, I, you know, before done, before I, you know, South Sudan, this like campaign that I'm running, I'd like taken other steps in other things to like try what it's like to be like leading a role playing like thing. Uh, and like very much, it. I was so. Like they told me their characters and I was like, cool, cool, cool. Like I did a much more like surfacey level of like, cool, want to use a mus musician? Great. Uh, we'll start with you like at a concert. And like that, that's like, I did it. You got your, <laughs> you got your, what you wanted. You, we were at a concert and you were playing cause you're a musician. I had like, that is a level of like giving uh, that I think is you know now as a player and now thinking about that is so satisfying and gives it it uh the level that level of engagement that i think can sometimes be a hard thing to like uh stir up as the dm like at the table uh especially in like the technological era that we live in where people are like want to check facebook like to grip them and give them those things so that they feel uh so a part of what's happening like that's that's very sweet and impressive uh, <laughs> it's rad though but like even something as small as you're saying of like of like oh make sure that the musicians at a concert playing music it really is that thing of like when people play D, &D they want uh, like escapism they want the mm -hmm. ability to be somebody else mm -hmm. and often there's an experience they're looking for and sometimes they don't even ask for it explicitly yeah and it's your job to kind of empathically go okay how do i give like what is it that you're looking for mm -hmm. uh and weirdly i think sometimes also to give people the character arc that they desperately want to let them be that person sometimes you actually have to not give them what they are asking for or yeah. want like i think about fabian's arc in season one where you didn't get on the team that first time very surprising uh i'll say i you know i've never i, I haven't been out there about uh talking about like things i was thinking but i i i've me we you have you and i have talked about it a lot but when you said hit the showers the first time in episode one, I truly thought I was on the team and that you were just, we were just kind of, you were like, let's move along. Like, I was like, I did it. I was very caught off guard by the fact that you did not let me be on the Blood Rush team. I very, I thought I had earned, I thought there was rolling that, like, I think I rolled a nat one and then like an 18. I like was convinced both uh, both in, in the meta Lou Wilson and the character Fabian Seacaster that I was like I'm on like I killed that play I win yeah uh, well that's of course that's the thing too is like Fabian the character and also to some degree probably Lou Wilson the player mm -hmm. wants Fabian to get on the Blood Rush team as soon as possible badly badly why don't why did I put my character in a varsity jacket if well, I didn't <laughs> assume that these things were going to work out a certain way right and it, what's horrible as a DM is it's not it's like you're doing a very weird twisted kind of wish fulfillment because you actually can't give people because people want the experience of being their character archetype fully realized. Mm -hmm. So if you go and just do wish fulfillment, just do very simple basic wish fulfillment and say, cool, Lou wants his character to be on the Blood Rush team, he's on the Blood Rush team, great, you got your wish, you did it. 
Hooray, did it. Okay, it would have been kind of cool. There would have been some <laughs> games where I did some tackles and some flips and things, all right? Sure. But you're right. I mean... But what I'm saying is that it's it's a weird thing because it's so much more meaningful. Like, we just had the Coach Daybreak battle. The same thing, yes. Stabbing Coach Daybreak over and over again was my, so much more I have never fun. laughed harder in my life than when you fucking put Riz in the thing and went, what's good? Woo! That was, I mean, it was incredible. Like it, you're, I mean, you, okay, you're right. Okay, <laughs> you're right. It was way cooler to be to like overcome to lose and then win than to just win from episode one. But it's really hard. I mean, it's it's because as a DM, you're sitting there and it feels a little bit manipulative. Yeah. Because you're looking at players and they're like, I want this, and yeah. you have to go like, okay, not yet. Mm-hmm. And and watch your friend, your real life friends at the table get frustrated, uh-huh. and you have to just in your head go like, "Well, I know it's going to be more meaningful later, but for mm-hmm. the time being, I just watched my friend get really frustrated." But it's it's about knowing like, "Oh, what's actually the best thing? Mm-hmm. What what's going to really make the the best high?" And I think a lot of that you can track by going, "What's the fullness of being this character?" Mm-hmm. Like. If someone is like some revenge-driven cowboy, don't start session one where they kill their enemy. Mm-hmm. But also, like, let them be a badass. And you have yeah. to find that balance, but go like, no, their enemy has to be smarter and more powerful than them and evade them for a long time mm-hmm. in order for them to fully realize this journey. They're mm-hmm. they're not looking for a quick hit. They want yeah. the full self-actualization. Ooh, baby, they want the good stuff. <laughs> the good they stuff. They want that stuff you gotta pay pay for you know <laughs> not a cheap quick hit you know the stuff that lasts a while it lasts a while yeah. i'm gonna pull up these questions submitted from people on our discord uh so for those of you listening to this, uh, this episode you might be listening to it for free if you want to watch the video of it you got to head over to dropout.tv where you can get the full video and watch uh, me and lose faces uh, yeah, you know because you got to get the real the whole picture the smile the- on these two boys faces as they talk about one of their favorite hobbies and, and you got to see Alphonse. You got to see Alphonse. Alphonse here in the back. We um, named him right now in this moment. And for however many episodes this goes, he will always be Alphonse. Alphonse. Um, uh, cool. So uh, questions are submitted on our Discord server, which you get for signing up for Dropit.tv. You can go hang out on Discord server, hang out with the cast and different crew members. And it's actually a fun time. It's a really yeah. cool community of people in there. Um, this first question comes from Marlisle, uh, and in parentheses is Colin. Um, one D&D question I've never really had answered in a satisfying way is about making characters compelling. How do you manage to have characters who can be scary or unnerving when the heroes can also make them projectile vomit and laugh uncontrollably on a whim? This is a very cool question. Thanks, Colin. Um, thank you, Colin. Uh, I actually think this applies to PCs and NPCs alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou, you've played a couple different PCs now. Yes. You've played one we can't talk about in season two. Yes. But you've also played uh, uh, the on-screen Fabian, but also you've played Kondrak, the Barbarian, yes. in our home game. Yes. Um, and then you also have played NPCs for the first time in your your foray into DMing. Yes. Uh, for you, is there a difference between making a PC and an NPC compelling? What are the rules? Uh, I mean, I think for both, it's uh, I think it's just about wholeness, right? I think it becomes like you get into a situation like that when you're like, this person is the evil guy, and then they're and then the people are like, we make him silly, and you're like, oh, okay, well, what's uh, what do bad guys do? Like, then it just turns into I don't know a Disney movie where like the the evil guys going like, no, please stop! This like is ruining the facade that I've been trying to hold up. But I think that you know, in creating the characters for like my campaign, it was about. Like who these like main uh, who these like the major NPCs that were that I thought they were gonna like come across and then kind of shaping the whole them what they're like thinking about private life thinking about the person that they want to be seen as I don't know this is I, this is weird to say out loud I have never like really expressed but it was like who do, how do they want to be seen how are they how are they really um, what do they want from like like thinking about if my PCs come across them, what are they going to want from them? And uh, like, wh- how do they, how will they handle like those people, like those kinds of people? And I think when you give that like kind of wholeness to it, 
it like doesn't like they are inherently going to be compelling because we're watching them experience a range of emotions rather than the opposite of what they are. Yeah. Uh, I think that's perfectly said. And that, honestly, something that you guys can do if you're listening to this is I would recommend, weirdly, people, I think, really emphasize writing as a dungeon master. A lot of running a game is about acting and, I think, improv training. Yeah. Well, something that improvisers have up their sleeve when they start DMing uh, is the understanding of how to make somebody whole quickly. Yes. And how to give somebody a core quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Basrar in season one of Fantasy High, that's a cursed gene who can only grant ice cream wishes and he ha- runs an ice cream place. Yeah. And when you understand that deep sadness and he has this role he can't <laughs> fulfill, everything he does starts to pile up on top of that and make sense. Mm-hmm. He's got to grant these wishes because he's this genie, but he can only grant ice cream wishes. Yeah. And when you're designing your NPCs, coming from the heart is huge which is sort of what you're saying this idea of like wholeness how do they present what they want and all those things aren't necessarily a mechanical bullet list for every npc understanding factoids about your npc is not what you're going for you're actually trying to feel them yeah on an intuitive emotional level yeah i'm not saying write paragraphs about me they the reason they feel this way is because at the age of seven <laughs> they left the villain like it's like i don't know yeah it is just a bullet it's just something that i can reference because i think like and i think one to your credit i think like thinking about coach daybreak and thinking about this fight where we're making this man vomit and shit himself after he's like while well, he like after like after he's like half killed a lot of us i think there is so much in the acting of it where it's like you your portrayal of him is a person who's trying to hold on to that uh, that like part of himself while shitting and vomiting which i think is why it still has some of that why we're like why it doesn't just turn into a cartoon uh because of you holding on to like uh, him still holding on to you haven't given up you're not just like he's just vomiting and shitting the uh, you're still like he's still trying to be intimidating while vomiting and shitting and right. seeing that i think is very compelling i will say there are almost two questions in this question and and one of them is i think a, a, that rich kind of like what makes a character compelling mm-hmm. which i do want to address there's another one here that just so that we make sure that there's like really practical advice here here's some here's like the most nuts and bolts advice i can give mm-hmm. That especially when you're starting to introduce villains into a campaign, there are conventions from movies and television shows that will not follow into tabletop role playing games. Mm -hmm. If you have your villain try to do a monologue and there is nothing stopping the PCs from just starting to clown on them, the PCs (laughs) will start to clown. That's from movies. You can't do that. So if you want your villain to exposit a piece of necessary information Mm -hmm. or you want them to seem really threatening or scary in some way, Mm -hmm. realize you're not in a book or a movie. This is an interactive game. And also, if you have made your PCs really hate someone and they feel that they have the ability to enact violence on them, holy shit, they are going to go buck wild. There is nothing more vicious than a group of PCs finally getting their hands on a villain. All it takes is one barbarian in the group who's like, uh, this makes me mad, I rage, and I charge at them. Like, there's no... As a person who... who one of the character, Kondrak, in another campaign that Brendan and I have off-screen, is a barbarian. And 100%, if you tried to speak on something... Like, my char- me and that character, I'm not going to respect you, enough as a dm to be like he's trying to do something let him have i'm gonna be like no brendan i charge <laughs> well let's talk about the first time that happened yeah. we were in a fight so lou plays this character kondrak who's he's rushkavi yeah. he's from a species of half orcs they're mm-hmm. like tribes of these northern like their ancestry is human and orcish yeah and he goes to the southern city. He's watching this show. There's a bunch of these Kildarian soldiers yeah. in the crowd. Kondrak walks up to one of them, and what did you say? You're like, I, I was, they were arresting a person of interest for another PC that I had like briefly interacted with. And I think I walk up. I walked up to one of the guards, and I just was like, "Why are you arresting him?" 
Uh, and the guard turned to you and said, like, none of your business, Rushkavi scum. Yes, and I immediately buried <laughs> hand axe in the back of his head. <laughs> just uh, chopped him in the fucking head. And that's like, that's that character. Yeah. <laughs> that's Lou contributing to the story. Okay, that's that's what, my part. That's uh, his part. So as a DM, do not get swept away in your own story. Yeah. If your villain presents a credible threat or even a fun opportunity for violence... <laughs> to your PCs, they're gonna take it. Just give me one fun opportunity for violence and oh, how I'll capitalize. Uh. <laughs> it's really true, but there's an, there's a, a wild thing there where, so that being said though, you do sometimes need your villains to do a threatening thing. Mm -hmm. You need them to do some scary shit sometime. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is think carefully as a dungeon master and say, why aren't my PCs unloading right now? Yeah. Does the villain have some leverage over them? Mm -hmm. Have the PCs just gotten their asses kicked? That's a great time to have a villain exposit some shit and do a monologue if they are legitimately defeated and captured. Yeah. Or is there a reason why the PCs aren't interacting? Sometimes I think it's also fun to have a villain interact if the PCs don't know their villains yet or there's some reason for them to hold off. They're yeah. at some fucking banquet and there's some reason for them not to interact. Do some cool shit where they're like in Sigil, the city of doors, and they are not able to enact violence for fear of being excommunicated or yep. thrown out of the city or X, Y, or Z. So, but that does need to be taken into account. So don't trust that your villains, your PCs have signed up to play a game of heroic adventure. Mm -hmm. They are not going to act scared. They're yes. going to act like heroes. Mm -hmm. So your big scary villain coming along, you're never going to watch them go like, oh, I'm scared. Yeah. They didn't roll all these dice to get to the villain <laughs> and quake in their boots. Yeah. So, uh, I think rather than trying to like scare or intimidate your PCs, you want to look for moments of like, like I'm trying to think, like like have villains done? Sh I don't think villains have ever scared you in either of the home games we've played or stuff like that. But have there been moments where villains like I don't know, like maybe didn't scare you, but like rattled you or or left some pause for like, ooh, we need to think carefully or we need to be more strategic in this moment. Uh, I mean, uh, well, the problem is that I play fighter. I've you know for the most part played fighters who are concerned with their appearance and their like. Like being either legends or brutish or like um, both of my characters kind of had like a chip on their shoulder and that they want to be seen as like incredibly heroic, strong, uh, legendary. Mm -hmm. So it's I've never I like often like I'm like, yeah, this is the dumb moment where I don't roll inside or try and learn anything and I just run an attack and like but I, I don't know. I think about maybe uh, in the in the home campaign we i was uh i wanted to go pit fight somebody because my pride had been hurt and i remember like you had set up a really nice you had set up like an underground fighting ring uh of of a death match uh versus just fisticuffs and i do remember like you had done a really nice job of when like of giving your like you we got a lot of information in like the entrance of who I was about to fight and kind of the like you would use the structure of about to kind of give us a moment of like exchanging personality and information uh, that I thought like was really like nice and felt like very of like truthful. Um, I wasn't attacking because you gave because you like I don't know the rules of that moment were that you can't. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think yeah, when you do put those societal like those those rule you your PCs will recognize that that this is that it would be that it would be uncouth uh to be seen as attacking or like to go uh to I like it would have been improper for me to attack in that moment. So I didn't. Yeah, I think that's and I think too thinking about it more, if you want villains as the question is to be scary and unnerving. Scary is a mood that you can set at the table. Yeah. I had that home game with you and your friends where you guys went into these caverns. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just remember, like, Brendan was describing this, like, crevasse, like, that had been created by a magical event that, like, split, like, just created this, yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know. This the canyon. Exactly. Yeah. And just, yeah, between, like, some ambient music you had put on and, like, your, in a lot of the, your descriptor words, it was terrifying. <laughs> 
It was right. and this was like a geographical feature. Yeah. All that it was was these guys had been in very like temperate forests. It had been mostly like wilderness. And like, you know, we like described it and I'd I'd put some effort into describing the wilderness, but it was very Lord of the Ringsy, yeah. Middle Earthy kind of wilderness going from town through the wilderness to like to different towns and stuff. And then we got to this place that suddenly the tone shifted and it was a like shadow of the Colossus style, like some magical effect has scoured the land as though the finger of God came down and there is a miles wide chasm scored into the earth as though Mm -hmm. by some unnatural force. He's he's using, I think, a lot of the words that he used (laughs) on that day. Uh, And that's something you can do where that's like an unsettling thing to narrate partially because there's no way for you you guys can't like shit talk a canyon you know like there's no way for you to like hey fuck you kid <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, hey 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 Brendan I'd like to piss in this canyon uh I'd like to show this canyon who's boss fucking hey canyon fucking these nuts yeah there's nothing you can do yeah. <laughs> you can't flash brain to the canyon you can't flash brain to the canyon right um so I think that there's an element of uh, like finding those creative ways into narrative. So horror is a mood. Mm -hmm. You can't just have a lich show up or have like a vampire show up and be like, hey, I'm a classic monster, very scary. You have to find a way to create a feeling of dread or unease and that has to do with narration and kind of using that poetic description. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think unnerving as well. So so that's like the feeling of being unnerving. In terms of scary, where the PCs actually feel like they should run away, Right, or the PCs at least feel trepidatious about their chances. Like you want the PCs to enter a combat knowing there's a high likelihood for them to lose. Mm-hmm. I think that what you can do there is show an element of loss. And also as a DM, I think show that you're not kidding. One yeah. of the ways I think that you can best show that you're not kidding as a DM, you want to show that a villain is scary. Cool, you can't do a total party kill. You can't kill all your PCs. Kill some of your NPCs. Yeah. Have a town or a city that these PCs know and love and they get back and it's fucking gone. It's just smoke and ash. That's a way to set something up where the PCs are losing something they care about and can tell that this person means business. And it is a way, in the same way that in real life, we ponder our own deaths most when we experience death with the people we know and care about. Mm -hmm. And it it becomes real suddenly. It's the same thing. If your PCs are feeling like, hey, zero consequences, everything's groovy, it's all shenanigans. I remember playing in the campaign that we did with Murph and Emily, the the other Errol campaign, Mm -hmm. where they had... Up to our in our first session, they'd been in this little town. They're having a ball. They're going around, and even some like spooky stuff had happened. There were like goblins in the woods, <laughs> and they were like joking, joking, joking. It was a bunch of people that had never played D anD D before, and they were having a ball and joking around. And I had them go off into the forest a little bit, and they'd met this old witch named Rose, who had been very sweet and motherly to Emily's character. And Emily had like formed a really strong bond with her, mm. and it, she was like, "Rose, I love you." And they left. They came back to town successful, having beat these goblins, and were being glib. Yeah. And they, I think it was John Wolfe's Barbarian, Rose like looked up in this, went up into a tree and looked and saw Rose hanging from her witch's tree. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and they had left her in town with the Baron's men. Now, they hadn't sworn to protect her, and they knew the Baron's men were dangerous, but they didn't, there wasn't like a conspiracy they knew about to kill Rose. Yeah. But it was this weird moment where I watched six people who had started playing D&D for the first time three hours earlier, mm-hmm. who were like kind of joking, and they were like, the characters, like some, like some of them had like silly names. It was yeah. like very like, oh, we're playing D&D for the first time. Every face went to stone, and I watched people get it, get the power of this game for the mm-hmm, first time mm-hmm. and go like, we're going to make them pay for what they did. <laughs> and that's like, and then the Baron yeah. suddenly became this person for them. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're like, it is, there is such, I, there is like, uh, when I think when you get a lot of, when you get people who are inexperienced to play D&D, they do are like, oh, this is the one where I can do whatever I want, right? This is where I can like punch the baker and be like, fuck it, like, <laughs> like I. So there is something I don't know when you, you when you teach them that yes, this is that, and that 
actions have consequences and like those consequences aren't like oh he took your gold or ah your item is gone or i i don't know when it's like people things that people have really engaged with and enjoyed i don't know there is like every exactly there is that switch where it's like oh yeah i don't know another way to put it other than like if you like D&D is a game about gambling. You're rolling with dice, yeah. right? You're rolling with dice. It's a game of chance. What are you gambling with? It's not money. You are gambling with stories. Mm-hmm. And the stakes are characters, locales, moments, adventures. So the things that you stand to lose are actually very meaningful because people love stories. Yeah. So putting something up and having someone lose a character they care about, even if it's only an NPC suddenly makes the stakes real. And someone realizes like, Hey man, we're just sitting here at like a coffee table, eating chips and rolling dice. But Oh, I'm never going to see that character again. Well, and it's even more, I think potent than like harming the PCs themselves. Like, (laughs) like taking away an NPC. So like, I don't know that just something that they like, I don't know if I like, if uh, the guards came and beat me up, I think I would be like, okay, well then, fuck yeah, l- right? You beat me up today, tomorrow I'm gonna come and kick your ass. Yeah. But if like the guards went and like burned my mom's house down, that's so much more fire. Yes. That's, like I don't know that that is like just thinking about it right now. I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to go beat the shit out of. Like I don't know. Like it makes you feel so. Or even like the end of episode two in season one of like, in Fantasy High when Eggfort died and you fucking lost your mind. I, of course, because uh, I I don't know. I think there's also a thing where you forget NPCs can die. Like you, you've been the one looking at your health and like all of these things. So as soon as you get that reminder that like this is a living world and that like things are happening that you aren't like if you like other people walk through doors when you're not walking through them. It's right. like it's I don't know. It is like a That's- shaking that up and reminding people that this world is is doing stuff without you. Oh, that's a cri- that's an awesome thing to light on. That that's another actually for our second one for this episode. That's another critical DM tip. Oh, I like this. From critical Lou Wilson right. No, for real. It's like is make your world alive. It like if it has a if the PC start to get this final fantasy feeling of like mm-hmm. I can go out of town, kill a 100 monsters and walk back and the baker is still standing next to the shopkeep <laughs> just talking. Yeah. No. Yeah. If there's a hundred monsters in the woods, they eat shit. They're out there. And if the adventurers leave town, the town's doomed. Like, it's a living world. When characters leave and come back to a place, the place should have changed. Mm -hmm. Unless, for some reason, it is able to maintain whatever its status quo in, which is in itself dynamic. How is it able to maintain a status quo? What What is is the the cost of that? What is the cost of that, right? So a dynamic world where the PCs... And that doesn't mean that PCs don't have agency and importance. I think the trick is... PCs matter and can change the world, but the world's also always changing itself. Mm -hmm. And if the PCs split their focus or ignore something for the benefit of something else, that matters and it changes as a result of that. Woo! Hell yeah. We're going in today. (laughs) We're going in today, guys. Uh, This one's from Salt in Your Coffee. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you reinvest players that feel lost in the story due to missed hooks or closed out plots? What's the best way to address players feeling like the game is becoming the DM versus the players instead of telling a story together? Mm. That's really fun. Um, I love that question. Um, when you were playing, because you started with a one-off for your players. Yes, just like a sesh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How much were you kind of giving them plot and a hook versus how much were you going like, hey, this is collaborative, we're together? Because I have some thoughts on this that go, that are conflicting. Okay, well, I would say, so for, you know, as for my session, which I had like, in my head, I wanted, in, in talking with Brendan a lot about it, uh, as one does with their teacher, uh, I was like, okay, great. I know what's, like, I wanted to, like, something simple because I'm new, so it was like a caravan guard. That was, like, the heart of it. But I wanted, but I also thought about what what the caravan, what that means, like, to the world or what's on this caravan and who's, who wants it, all of those sorts of things. And I think I was, I had... I was like, I wanted all those things to be on the table if the PCs were invested in that. But I also wanted it to just be, if they just want like to be a bunch of mercenaries who have a job to do, um, then so be it. But I think, 
getting back to the question instead of just talking about <laughs> that care of my first session it, uh, it was uh i like i wanted it to be i gave a lot of room to the pcs to uh kind of like do their own like to explore the world and like to uh like i didn't have like a an, an npc there being like get back to work or we've got to be somewhere tomorrow like it was very much like they knew where they had to be and i wanted to give them the space to get there and and constantly moving the plot along and having them come across npcs that would be like oh you're working great like constantly reminding them that they are working uh and that they have a job to do but also that like if they want to they went to like if they went to they were in the a mining town and they went to the dirtiest bar in the mining town and one of the pcs was like and they like got they got a shitty room that had one bed for three people uh and one of them was like i want to meditate and kick the other two out and so one of them started cleaning this dirty bar and of like i don't know they started cleaning and i rolled for like the the reaction of the other people in the bar and i got like a 19 so i was like they also start cleaning. And so it just like, turned into like this moment of a bunch of like miners and the PCs cleaning the, this dirty bar. And then the bartender coming out and like pulling out a brand, uh, like a bottle of whiskey that he got when he opened the bar and them all like sharing it. So I don't know. It was like I wanted space for those moments and those collaborative moments, but also never trying to push plot. Because I feel like if I had just been like, Hey, we got stuff to do. We got stuff to do. Hey, there's like a whole caravan. Like we didn't get to the caravan. We like <laughs> the session, like a three and a half hour session ended with, and then the you begin the like the whole purpose. But I think it was really important uh, to understand that the I think the PCs define the pace of a session. Hell like, yeah, Jesus, do that. Yes. And I think that is how things always feel collaborative. I think if the PCs feel pushed, if the PCs feel like, hey, we got places to go, we got things to do, like I want you to be doing things, that's when the DM becomes more apparent. Uh, and right. I think there's subtle ways to keep PCs on track that don't involve you standing as, like being as clearly the DM asking to move things forward. Yeah, I think pace is really hard and it is more in the hands of the PCs than the DM. It just mm -hmm. is. The camera follows the PCs. You don't narrate stuff that PCs don't see. Yep. Or I've done it like once or twice in very insane circumstances. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the, the camera, the focus of the game follows the PC, so they're determining the pace. And if they are enjoying what they're doing, the, the game's successful. Yep. You know, in the same way that, like, if you get a brand new toy for your kid and they play with the box, mm -hmm. that's still a successful gift. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. okay, you didn't like the thing I thought you would like, but, but I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're having fun. Exactly. You're yeah. having fun. It's working. Um, I would say too that. I actually can go either way on this mm -hmm. because what this question is basically talking about is like missed hooks, closed out plots, stuff like that, yeah. which has to do with that idea of railroading or not. Is yes. your campaign setting a sandbox where the PCs totally determine what they're going to do? Mm -hmm. Or is there a plot that needs to be followed? Mm -hmm. Here's the funny thing. There's not one. I don't think there's one right or wrong answer to this mm -hmm. because the truth is if you are playing with very new players it can be cruel to put all of the mm -hmm. onus of creativity on them and say, I don't want to railroad you guys, so you do the adventure. And they're Got like, it. dude, I don't fucking know. I, yeah. I'm an elven ranger. I, I'm excited to have like a panther familiar. <laughs> I don't know what he wants to do. Yeah. Like, In other words, if you're playing with people that are not really confident in their like creative writing or improbabilities mm -hmm. it is kind to say your old mentor shows up and says there are monsters at the edge of the forest <laughs> and they go cool yeah. i want to help my mentor out that's a that's a really simple digestible story i'm excited to tell that that lets me do the things i'm excited to do which is yes. shoot monsters and be a cool badass elven ranger all i ever wanted all i ever wanted me and my panther familiar <laughs> uh yeah i feel 100% uh so do you think that that like is that the only situation in which railroading like it's that sounds very specific though so is it like do you think it carries into other situations or is it just new pcs i think that the the bit the biggest high you get to as a pc is where you start to feel like the campaign really is becoming your story mm -hmm. right it's not in other words 
you are not a character that is being followed by the camera randomly. You're not the focus of this campaign world randomly just because mm-hmm. like, hey, I made a character or we're at the house playing and I'm one of the PCs. But really start to feel like, no, there, there's a reason there's a story about this character. I'm growing in some way. Mm-hmm. Or this quest could only have been about me. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm like a chosen one necessarily. That's a whole other conversation about whether your PCs should be like destined heroes. Mm-hmm. But I'll put it this way. I think one of the best, and we'll, this I guess would be like the hard DM tip number three. Critical. Critical DM tip number three. Use the buzzwords. <laughs> use dude. the buzzwords. Uh, yeah, this is a nat20 DM tip. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, is. The sooner the better mm-hmm. when you are doing character creation for a game, talk with your PCs about making characters that have an adventurous motivation within them. Mm-hmm. In other words, I think that by default, we often make characters that are static. Yeah. Like if I make a character that, let's say I make a paladin. I love playing paladins. One of my favorite PC types to play. He'll never shut up about how much he loves playing paladins. I am a sucker for a knight that <laughs> believes in ideals, right? So let's say you take a paladin, right? Cool. I make a paladin. He's a member of a paladin order. He's a member of the Knights of the Sun. And he believes in honor and, and virtue. And he's from the city of uh, Greystone. Wow. What, a, what an incredible look at that. That's cool. what you get. The guy's 22 years you can make up like that. Cool. So that's like a character that a lot yeah. of people would make as their first paladin character. Cool. Now, that character could feel really fun. And I could even give him a funny name. And he could have a funny quirk. He loves. Give him a funny name, brother. Uh, his name is uh, Bilby Buzzbeard, and he loves pasta. Uh, and the problem with Bilby is this Bilby's a lot of. He's a lot of fucking work for a DM. Why is he a lot of work? Because he's just fucking standing there. Yeah. He's just in Greystone. Okay, he loved pasta, okay? He does love he pasta. He probably wants to go get some pasta. But it, there's such a difference between loving pasta and seeking out the world's greatest pasta. Okay, but what if you burn down his pasta? His favorite oh, pasta. if we start session one and his favorite <laughs> Italian place burns down and he goes, no, and then has to chase down the people who burned it down, that's a great story. I mean, that's a, this is a natural DM right that's here. They burned down his... There you go. Wherever you go... <laughs> Whatever corner or hole you hide in, my sword shall find you. <laughs> this is my quest. <laughs> there you go. Incredible. <laughs> but what I'll say is this your job, I think, as a DM during character creation, because that's actually where a lot of your job happens, mm. is to sit down and say, Cool, you're a paladin. Can we make you come from a disgraced house and your honor is besmirched and you're adventuring because you have something to live up to? Mm-hmm. Cool, you're a paladin. Are you a halfling paladin? Great. What does it mean to be smaller than every other warrior and does that give you something that you need to prove? Mm-hmm. And to find characters that are already in motion. They're not static. Mm -hmm. Because being an adventurer is fucking crazy. You're going into dungeons and killing monsters. Close to 100% of people in your fantasy world where monsters exist don't do that. Mm -hmm. And for good reason. So I think that there is a real good piece of advice in with your DMing skills, crafting PCs that already have a reason to be doing crazy shit. Mm I love that. Uh, hell yeah. Any final thoughts or words as we wrap up here on the um, inaugural session of Adventuring Academy? I mean, get out there and do it. I think if you have that, uh, I think I let a, I similarly let a lot of the things uh, that maybe hold you back from being a DM of like, will I be able to create an intriguing enough world? Will I know what to do when they say they want to like push over the the person that I thought was going to be the most helpful person? Uh, I don't know. Even you, I was like halfway through reading the entire dungeon uh, master manual when you were like, you already know enough to go ahead and do it. Uh, go do it. Go do it, guys. Go do it. Hey, thanks for joining us on Adventuring Academy. I'm Brandon Lee Mulligan. It's my friend Lou Wilson. I'm Lou Wilson. And uh, we'll hope to see you next time. Later. Adolphus. What is his name? Alphonse. 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 I don't have to know. I was in the first episode. I named him and now I'm gone. (laughs) This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.